Thank you so much. What a blessing that is. What uh, truth. Unworthy. Young people can be dismissed at this time. What a great group of young people we have today. I was just looking over the uh, crowd here a minute ago, and, and uh, a, lot of, a lot of young people, teenagers and, and uh, young people alike, so we're grateful for that. We're going to turn our Bibles today to John chapter 4. John chapter 4, those of you who are familiar with John's gospel probably recognize John chapter 4 as the woman at the well passage, and we're going to look at that, <clears throat> but not specifically focusing on the woman at the well, but what happened immediately after that. Now, we just got through with a prophecy conference, and I don't know about you, but I go to those, and then after I go to a prophecy conference, I don't even want to buy green bananas, because I'm afraid they won't, I won't be around when they ripen, you know? I mean, that's kind of the idea we get when we, when we get into a prophecy conference. You get, uh, this thing's happening tomorrow. Now, truth of the matter is, it could happen today, it could happen tomorrow, it, it could happen. We don't know when the Lord will return. Uh, but uh, we need to just be ready at any time. But what the purpose of the prophecy conference in my heart is not, the reason I called him and set this up and wanted him to come was not so that we could set a date or get everybody uh, all wrapped up in themselves about the fact that Jesus is coming back, but that, uh, you know, by the way, some people do that, sell everything they have, get in a white robe, go live on a hill, wait for the Lord to return. That's, uh, they did that all the way back in Bible times. That's not the purpose of it. This is what I want it to be, is a clarion call for us to get the gospel as to, many, as, to as many people as we can, knowing that we don't know how much time we have left. If we know that Jesus is coming back, why do we stay silent? In our text today, Jesus commands us to be a spiritual sower. That's what I want to talk about today, a spiritual sower. Uh, reading with me at page, uh, I'm sorry, chapter 4, verse number 27. This is immediately after his conversation with the woman. And upon this came his disciples and marveled that he talked with the woman. Yet no man said, what seekest thou? Or why talkest thou with her? The woman then left her water pot and went her way into the city and saith to the men, Come and see a man which told me all things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? Then they went out of the city and came unto him. In the meanwhile his disciples prayed him, saying, Master, eat. <coughs> but he said unto them, I have meat to eat that ye know not of. Therefore saith the disciples to one another, Hath any man brought him aught to eat? Jesus saith unto them, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me, and to finish the work, or his work. Say not ye, there are yet four months, and then cometh the harvest. Behold, I say unto you, Lift up your eyes, and look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. And he that reapeth receiveth wages, and gathereth fruit into life eternal. And both he that soweth... And he that reapeth may rejoice together. Father, I pray you'd help us now this morning for these next few minutes that we would see your truth that you'd have for us in your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Immediately after he's done speaking to the woman at the well, Jesus turns his attention to his disciples. He uses a metaphor about spiritual sowing and reaping. And I'd like to look at it this morning, the call to the spiritual sowing, the method of doing it, and then the motivation that we have to do it. The call we see clearly 
and, and look at the context of this call. Jesus had just had an encounter with the woman of Samaria at the well. He's been traveling with his disciples. And in verse 4, he says he must needs go through Samaria. Uh, find that interesting. This is a great verse. Understand, Jesus was not a disorganized, aimless wanderer. He had a plan and he had a purpose in everything that he did. There was a prophet in the plan. In the fact that he was obeying his father and doing the work of his father, Jesus achieved great things. We need to be planning our lives as well, by the way. We ought to live it purposefully. And if we're going to achieve anything worthwhile, it doesn't just happen. It's something we determine to do. If you live a meaningless existence, a life of self-indulgence, you will be a spiritual failure. And we're talking here about the prophet and then the priority in Jesus' plan. Look at the word must. He must needs go through Samaria. Jesus must not go to the well at Samaria because he was thirsty. Jesus must go through the, to the well at Samaria because there was a woman there that needed a, an intervention from the Holy Spirit and from him. And so there was a soul there, and I'm so glad that Jesus went out of his way to meet with this woman. In fact, there, Jesus had many musts in his ministry, if you will. Uh, throughout Jesus' ministry, he expressed the urgency that he felt to do the will of the Father. And he spoke about these in the, this term of must. In John 4.43, I must preach the kingdom of God. In John 9.4, I must work the works of him who hath called me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. Luke 9.22, for the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be slain and raised again the third day. John 3.14, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. And all of these musts, guess what they're about? They're about you and they're about me. They're about our souls. They're about salvation. If you're a child of God here this morning, there was a day that God put someone in your path, someone that He said must go out of their way to give you the gospel, the message of the saving gospel of Jesus Christ. And aren't you glad that they did? Aren't you glad someone told you? I ask you, friend, how do you respond today when God taps you on the shoulder that you are to give a tract to somebody or to witness to somebody? We ought to have the attitude, oh, they may get upset, but I must, I must give them the gospel the same way that Jesus did. And he must go through Samaria. He gets to Samaria. He stops at a well. It's noontime. And this is when the sun is at the top of the sky and it's the heat of the day. He tells his disciples, you go into town, get some food, and I'm going to rest here a while. Well, he, of course, knew uh, he had a reason for being there. And uh, we're about to learn the reason that he must needs go. While he sits there, a woman comes from town to draw water at this well. This woman, uh, we understand, is an unusual time of the day to come and draw water. But she comes and they begin to talk and have a conversation. The woman probably had no desire to face the condes uh, condescension of the other women when they came to draw at the cooler times of the day, probably why she showed up at an inopportune time just by herself. Uh, she was no doubt the subject of much gossip. Who was this woman? What was she like? Well, we learn in the subsequent conversation, 
her marital and her extramarital relationships proves to us that she was not one that was too concerned with morality. She lived kind of the way she wanted to live. Uh, she did what she wanted to do. Uh, she had a quick mind and she had a sharp tongue. She had a knowledge of the religious feelings of the day, talks to Jesus about them. I get the, just the, uh, as I read the conversation, I kind of get the feeling Jesus probably enjoyed talking to her about as much as he enjoyed the outcome of the conversation because uh, she was so responsive to everything that he said. He opened the conversation with the words, give me to drink. Again, not a big deal for us. We ask people for things all the time. This was a thunderstruck moment for her. And I'll tell you why as we go on. There he was, the creator, because she didn't know this at the time, but we do. He's the creator of the Nile, the Mississippi, the Missouri River, and the Niagara Falls. And he was thirsty. There was the well, there was the bucket, and he asks her for a drink. He could have commanded the well to fill up and to overflow at his feet. Centuries before, he had commanded water to come out of a rock uh, for Moses. Just a short while before this, he had turned water into wine. And uh, not so long ago, he had, the devil had come to him and, and uh, tempted him to turn stones into bread uh, for his hunger. He had been fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. But we understand that Jesus did not ever perform miracles for himself. He was thirsty, but he was not the one there with the greatest need. He knew this woman and her need better than she knew herself. But in his request for water, Jesus is breaking the ice. He wants to start a dialogue with her. And this opens up a remarkable conversation. Now, understand, this isn't the thrust of our message today, but I just want to set the table for it. And this is such a fascinating passage, this woman at the well. He responds to all the woman's questions and her statements. Seven times in this passage, we see the words, the woman saith, or its equivalent. The first thing she brings up is the racial prejudice that was uh, prevalent between those two. And later in verse number 20, she brings up religious prejudice. But by asking her for a drink, Jesus is sweeping aside all the racial prejudice of that day uh, next, he tells her, but whoso drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. Now, here's an interesting twist. Uh, she, he tells her, you know, if you drink the water that I have, you'll never thirst again. <laughs> How would you like some of that water? You would never have to thirst again. You, wouldn't, you would never have to drink water again. You know, every day... All you hear, you're not drinking enough water. You go to the doctor, you're not drinking enough water. You've got to drink more water. And who likes to drink water? It's tasteless. Amen? There's nothing to it. And it would be no problem if they said, you've got to drink more Mountain Dew. Got to drink more Mountain Dew. Listen, you can't come back in here to my office again without drinking more Mountain Dew. That would be an easy order to follow from the doctor, wouldn't it? But water? And here she is. He says, you never thirst again. What does she say? She said what you would say. I want some of that water. Give me some of that water. What's his response? Go get your husband. That's kind of odd, isn't it? I have water that you'd never thirst again. Well, I'd take some of that water. Go get your husband. She responds, I have no husband. Now, I believe he said this non-condemningly in the situation he's at. Thou hast well said, verse 17, I have no husband. For thou hast had five husbands, 
and he whom thou now hast is not thy husband. So you've been married five times, and the one you're shacking up with now is not your husband. Wait, <coughs> why, when she said, I'll take some of that water, he says, go get your husband. What's he doing? He's showing her this isn't about physical water. This is about soul satisfaction. Uh, he's showing her the satisfaction that she's been trying to find in her relationships, in her marriages, maybe in her romance. It has not worked for her because, friend, it'll never work for anybody. The things that the world has to offer will never bring soul satisfaction. He offers her what the world cannot give. Jesus does not give the, eternal, or the gift of eternal life without first dealing with the question of sin. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no, not one. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. But before we can en enjoy the gift of salvation, we have to deal with the sin, and that's what he was dealing with here. As she revealed her desire for living water, don't miss this, Jesus puts his finger on what was causing her unquenchable thirst. Sin. That's why we're thirsty. That's why we have the need. And then he says, I, I that speak unto thee am he. Now that's the end of their conversation. So he tells her who, she is, who he is. He shows her that he knows who she is. He offers her the living water. And that's the end when he says, I that speak unto thee am he. Now the disciples come back at this point. The woman leaves her water jug, runs into town to tell her friends what's just happened to her. In this context, Jesus pointing to belief in himself, the woman pointing all her friends toward Christ. In that context, Jesus gives a metaphor. He says, first of all, I have meat to eat. Now, this is minorly upsetting. The disciples had gone to this village in Samaria uh, to get takeout, to bring back to the Lord Jesus Christ. So they had went. They didn't want to go. Nobody wants to go to Samaria if you're a Jew. They would not have want to go. It's an unpleasant job. Uh, they, we can imagine the conversation. You'd better go, Judas. You're the one carrying the money bag. Judas, I'm a Judean. Go to Samaria. Deal with them people. You've got to understand, they hated the Samaritans. Maybe Peter. Peter, you always like to take the lead. Take the lead on this one. You go get the takeout at the Taco Express in Samaria there. No, he didn't want to go either. Nathaniel, how about you, Nathaniel? Remember when you asked the question, can any good come out of Nazareth? Why don't you go see if any good can come out of Samaria? Why don't you go? Well, in the end, they all went. Jesus was left. He probably just said, enough. Every one of you go. I need some time alone here when he talked to that woman. But now they're back. It was a long, hot walk. And they were hungry. They spread out the provisions, maybe on the wall of the well there. And they say, Master, eat. But his mind and his heart were far away. I think they were already with, they were still with the woman who was at this very moment in the city uh, telling everybody they need to come out and see him. And he says these words, I have meat to eat, ye know not of. The disciples look in bewilderment. Has he brought has somebody else brought something to eat? Did we just go all the way in there for nothing? Did somebody else bring him something? He clarifies, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me 
and to finish his work. Well, what is his work? He's talking about the harvest. And we know it's spiritual because in verse 36, it's clear they're talking about souls. Now, talking symbolically about what just happened with the woman and what's happening now as she talks to her friends, he talks about spiritual sowing, which is pointing people through to Jesus Christ, and spiritual reaping is to see some of them believe. That's what we're talking about with spiritual sowing and reaping. Sowing the word of God, giving people the gospel, and then some people believe, some people delay, some people mock, like they did for the Apostle Paul. Now Jesus says, this is meat. By the way, meat in the Bible, it simply means food. Okay, not just meat specifically, but food. It's important. Being a witness, pointing people to Christ, is not dessert. It's not hors d'oeuvres. It's not optional. It's not a treat. It is not something special. This is meat, he said. This is food. This is standard behavior. This is necessary to life. And... Uh, Jesus said, this is what God has put me here to do, and by inference, this is what you should be doing too. Not only does he stress the importance of our witness, he then develops his metaphor a step further, and I like this. Look what he says. Both he that soweth and he that reapeth may rejoice together. Now stop and think about that for a moment. You know how profound that is? Usually sowers go out, and then months later... Reapers go out. In fact, Jesus had said just a verse before that, that uh, there are often months between sowing and reaping. But when it comes to the message of the gospel, the sower and reaper may rejoice together. What does that mean? Can I tell you today, there is no natural seed so powerful that the sower and the reaper can go out together. Jesus is talking about the sower uh, going out and he is planting, he is sowing or however they used to do in that day. And uh, he's planting. And right behind him is the reaper reaping the things that come up. That doesn't happen in real life. No, no farm I've ever seen that happens to. I've never planted anything in my garden that comes up that fast. They're actually working together. Sowers and reapers do not work together because there's no seed that powerful. But friend, listen to me. The gospel is that powerful. The word of God is that powerful. And he says, listen, you start sowing the word of God and you start sowing the gospel, you become a spiritual sower and the spiritual sower and the reaper can work together because the gospel can make an immediate impact. He says, the, he goes on to say, don't say this isn't the harvest time. Lift up your eyes. And I say today, all we have to do is lift up our eyes and look around and we know that this is harvest time. You go to the uh, homeless shelter with me down in Sioux Falls and you'll see this is harvest time. You go to the fair and you'll see this is harvest time. You go anywhere and you'll see that the harvest is white and truly plenteous. It's waiting for somebody to come in and just sow some gospel, sow some word of God. We ought never say this isn't the time, this is not the culture that allows for my testimony. We ought never say that sharing the gospel is only for certain people. No, 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 it's not. It's meat and it's drink. It's necessary. It's standard. Don't make excuses as to why we can't give the gospel. Excuses are the skin of a reason stuffed with a lie. And don't make the excuses in your life why we cannot be about the business of giving the gospel. Jesus says, it's the work I've been given to do. 
And it's the work you've been given to do as well. This is the first thing we learn here. He's calling us to spiritual sowing. Moving right along. Number two, the method. The method of spiritual sowing. What Jesus is talking about here is exactly what the woman's doing right now in town while he speaks. It says in verse 28, The woman then left her water pot and went her way into the city and saith to the men. What men? The men that she's had relationships with? Well, some people look at it that way. The word used is anthropos. In the New Testament, it simply is the word for human being. We could just as easily say she saith to the people. Uh, In any case, her testimony is a clear call to action. Look what she says. Come see a man who told me all things I ever did. Is not this the Christ? These are the people she lives with. These are the people she knows. Uh, Then they went out of the city and came unto him. Notice she doesn't put up a soapbox, jump up on it, and start preaching. There's nothing wrong with uh, that in per se, not that a woman should do it, but there's nothing wrong with it per se. Jonah did that. He jumped up and started preaching to him. But she comes to him and says, uh, come see a man. This could not have been easy for her. She at best had a very checkered past, <coughs> to, to put it nicely. She was not a moral pillar of her community, but she tells them anyway. You see, to start giving the gospel for any of us can be difficult. And I know for many to hear a message like this, you don't see yourself as a possibility of this happening. How do I be a spiritual sower? It's hard for me to talk to people, or it's really hard for me to talk to people about this. And, and you know, one of the reasons is because all of it carries some risk. We can use this as an illustration. <coughs> Imagine a ladder being up against the wall. In life, we're all on the ladder. Some are higher up than others. But there's always going to be somebody above you, and there's always going to be somebody below you. There's always somebody who's richer than you are, and there's somebody who's poorer than you are. There's somebody that has more, and there's, there's somebody that has less in this ladder. Uh, there are people that are older than you. There's people that are younger than you. It doesn't matter how high up you are on the ladder. Giving the gospel can be a scary thing. What will people say? Will I lose respect? If you're in the middle of the ladder, it doesn't get any better. You don't want people to uh, above you. You want you do want people above you to think well of you. Uh, You (coughs) excuse me. Want to advance. You don't want to be thought of as a fanatic. If you're at the bottom of the ladder, like this lady was, it's even worse. Uh, You don't want people to say, we always knew you were different. Now we know you're slapped crazy. You know, you don't want people to completely write you off. And so no matter where you are on the ladder of life, there's risk involved. There is. There's a possibility you could lose something. And that's okay. And praise God, this woman speaks anyway. She's not going to let that stop her. This statement can be broken up into two parts. When she says, come see a man which told me all things I ever I did. This will help you, and I believe these are important for you to be a spiritual sower. Number one, we see humble transparency. Humble transparency. He told me all things that that ever I did. This is not much theological content. She's not explaining substitutionary atonement. She's simply saying, here's what happened to me. Come see a man that told me all about me. She's being transparent about what's going on inside. Can I tell you today, the best way to reach somebody's heart is to express yours. One of the things 
that I believe causes the death knoll of Christianity is pretentiousness. The idea uh, that we're walking around thinking we're holier than thou, we're better than someone else, uh, thinking that we uh, are a step above. The attitude is the same one that puts impossible expectations on brothers and sisters in Christ. Then we get angry and we get bitter as soon as someone doesn't measure up to our impossible standards. Hey, can I tell you something? Every single one of us is a dirty, rotten sinner that deserves no better than hell. Every single one of us. And the sooner we remember that, the better we are. She was transparent. Don't be pretentious. Step out of your comfort zone to the one who is hurting, in need of healing. Invite someone over. Give of yourself. Love on people. Be real. Don't be pretentious. Oh, I think pretentiousness kills our witness more than anything else in our life. Put, show the love and forgiveness to others that Christ has shown for you. Put a smile on your face. Let the joy of Christ shine through you. I wouldn't give a plug nickel for a sour-faced, bitter, spiteful Christian. And guess what? The world wouldn't either. That's why some of them don't listen. Have a humble transparency about you like this woman did. She simply said, hey, you know me? I'm a sinner. But here's a man that knew everything about me, and he still offered me living water. That meant something to her. That was an exciting thing to her. The effect of her honesty and authenticity and sincerity. The effect of all that. Guess what happened? People came. People followed her to Christ. She didn't have everything, all the knowledge of Scripture down like the Pharisees might have. But she had a changed life. And that made a difference to some people. And they came and followed her. I tell you, the honest, sincere witness of a loving Christian is powerful, powerful stuff. She points to Jesus himself. That's the second one. Humble transparency and then pointing to Jesus himself. She did not say, come to a seminar. She did not say, come read this book. She said, come see a man. She doesn't understand much about Jesus. She doesn't even know for sure if he's the Messiah. She says, is not this the Messiah? It might be. I think it might be. She doesn't know for sure. She probably doesn't know that he's going to die for her. She certainly doesn't know that he's going to raise again in three days. She doesn't know the doctrine of soteriology. Uh, she has not uh, grasped all of those things, but she has grasped the distinction between Christian and religion. I think that's interesting. Look at long, along with me here. Because you see, religion is a system. The five pillars of Islam. The eightfold path to enlightenment of Buddhism. The four noble tenets of Hinduism. And there's always a system, rules. In other words, they give people a way. You do this, you do this, you do this. They give people that type of instruction. It's totally different with Christianity. In John 14, Thomas said, show us the way, Jesus. Jesus said, I am the way. He says, show us the truth. I am the truth. You see, Christianity is not about a process. Christianity is about a person, the Lord Jesus Christ. Come see a man that told me everything about me. Oh, she was excited about that. Martha says to Jesus, I know that he'll rise again in the resurrection. Uh, the last day, Jesus, what did he say? I am the resurrection. Christianity is about a person. I am the way tells us that religion tells us what you do. I have come to do what you couldn't do yourself. Religion will tell you how to find God. 
I am God, come to find you. There's a big difference between Christianity and religion. I've come to give you salvation as a gift. Friend, it's all about Jesus. And that's what she recognized. Come see a man, she said. Are you bringing people to Jesus? When's the last time you extended an invitation? Come see a man. Maybe you have a hard time talking to somebody. Bring them to church with you. Get them under the preaching of the Word of God. Come see a man. We ought to extend that invitation. And then finally, the motivation. What was Jesus' motivation? Look at verse 27. And upon this came his disciples and marveled that he talked with the woman. Why were they surprised? Now, remember, this is a patriarchal society. Men usually did not speak to women in public. This was beneath them. This was also, we see, the problem of race. Uh, the Jews saw the Samaritan as half-breeds, as Gentile dogs is what they called them. They hated the Samaritans. They were racially hateful to them. Thirdly, th this was a moralistic society. A rabbi talking to a woman who's had five husbands and living in sin now was not kosher either. Uh, she probably came at midday to draw water because she was somewhat of a social outcast. So here, here's why the disciples were surprised. Here's a man speaking to a woman, a Jew speaking to a Samaritan, and a rabbi talking to a fallen woman. This just wasn't done. You just didn't do this. And so when they come, they're amazed to see it. Guess what? She was amazed too when he first asked for water. Read the, read the story. She's like, you asking me for a drink? There are two reasons why we tell people they ought to change their beliefs. One is pride. I'm right and you're wrong. And the other is love. I want you to have what I have. Jesus Christ is filled with love. He had to go out of his way. Must needs go to Samaria so he could meet this woman. Certainly this is not a way an arrogant or self-righteous person operates. If it were, if he were, he wouldn't talk to her at all. But here, the, it is his love that won her. Come see a man which told me all that I ever did. Now in small towns, everybody knows everything about everybody. Amen? Uh, we know that. I don't believe that this verse is about Jesus' mind-reading abilities. He, did everything. He, told, he knew everything about me. I believe it is more about acceptance. He knew all about me, and He still gave me living water. He told me everything I ever did. He saw me at the bottom. He saw me at my worst. And still He offered me eternal life. You can imagine the impact that had on her. He saw me at the bottom, and He loved me to the skies. That made an impact on her. She didn't know much about Christianity, but she certainly responded to the love that Christ showed her. She didn't know the doctrine of soteriology. She didn't have the dispensations down. All she knew is that here's a man who loved her in spite of who she was. And that's a powerful message. She experienced the love of Christ. When we show that to a lost, dying, hurting world, you won't imagine the impact you make. Remember what Jesus said, By this shall all men know that you're my disciples, if you have love for one another. The love that we ought to have for one another, and the love that we ought to have for a lost, 
and dying world ought to be the primary impact that we have as Christians. It's love. It's Jesus. I, I think of the, the uh, harlot that was brought before Jesus. The Pharisees brought her. Remember when they, uh, Jesus rode on the sand and, or rode on the ground and then they all dropped their stones and walked away? What won her heart was the, the, all these men standing around with lit, curled lips and hating on her. And here was a man that said, neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. That, that, that forgiveness that Christ offers, that love that He has, and when we show that forgiveness and that love, it's irresistible to folks who need it so desperately. I'm just asking you, are you a spiritual sower? At some level, every single one of us need to be a spiritual sower. Maybe you're not comfortable with knocking on doors or bothering people in their habitats or being that aggressive. Maybe you're not comfortable with that, but you can give out a gospel tract. You, you, uh, if you hang around this year, I'm excited to, that in November uh, of this year we are having with us my, uh, uh, my cousin Mary and her husband Joseph. Joseph and Mary Yoder will be with us. He's going to give his testimony uh, how they got saved from a gospel tract. That gospel tract that's sitting right back on the back uh, counter there that I wrote about my life and somebody gave it to him. And now they're saved and they're serving God. They're going to a Baptist church and their children are growing in the Lord. And it's an exciting thing. Don't tell me gospel tracts don't work. Don't tell me the gospel doesn't still make an impact. It does. It changes lives. All we need to be do in the middle of is taking it to them. Jesus said the field is white to harvest. The laborers are few. The problem is not that, oh, preacher, they just won't listen anymore. Oh, listen, they, nobody wants to talk about the Lord anymore. Nobody cares about what Jesus has. Nobody wants, cares about the soul. That's not the problem. Jesus said the fields are white to harvest. It's the laborers that he has a problem with. Remember Nineveh? Nineveh is, uh, Jonah was sent to Nineveh to preach to them. A wicked, 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 wicked city. And uh, Jonah was sent to preach to them. If you read the book of Jonah, you'll count 48 verses in the whole book. Do you know how many verses are attributed to Nineveh, that wicked, evil city, getting right? Four out of 48. You know what the rest of the... I think 48 minus 4 is 44, if the math is... if the new core hasn't changed it. Uh, 44. So 44 verses, you know what they're about? God trying to get His man into gear. And that's what it's still about, folks. The, the world is there. Lost people are there. The need is there. But the problem is that before God gets to the four verses of, his, uh, of wicked people getting saved, He's going through 44 verses of trying to get His people into gear to do their job. Are you a spiritual sower? We need to be. Jesus commanded it. Uh, he desires it. He came so that people could be saved, that none would perish. What are we doing to continue it? We don't have much time. It was just demonstrated this week, I think, very clearly. Let's be busy about the business of getting uh, the gospel out to lost and dying souls. Let's have every head bowed, every eye closed. <coughs> the question is very simple today to you, friend. Are you a spiritual sower? Are you a spiritual sower? What have you done? Let me ask the question this way. What have you done personally in the last week, 
to keep somebody out of hell. Oh, it was a busy week, Pastor. I had to work extra hours. I understand all that. What have you done to impact eternity? Win somebody to Christ. A letter, a phone call, a gospel track, a witness, many different ways, an invite to church. We knew many things to reach people. What have you done? Would you stand along with me, heads bowed, eyes closed? I'm not trying to beat you up today, friend. I'm just trying to encourage you. Be a spiritual sower. Maybe while she begins to play, the Lord has spoken to you today. And you know, God, I I need to sow more. I need to plant.